so were any of you in the first service this morning? One. Okay, we got one. It's good because let me tell you what happened at the 930. Uh, I got halfway through my sermon and we were out of time. I was done. So I'm going to preach you guys the second half of the sermon knowing that if God is working, he doesn't really need me. So he's going to do his thing. So, uh, but I'm doing my thing. I'm going to preach the whole sermon today. You ready? And I'm going to tell you straight up, this, this is a hard sermon for you to hear because, um, well, maybe let me put it a little differently. It'll be easy for you to hear. Uh, it'll be scary to live out because uh, anytime somebody comes into your life and says, I want you to give me control of your life, that's scary. You agree? Okay. If you don't agree, it's because you've already checked out. <laughs> I get it. Brunch. Let's go eat brunch. Anytime. And, and this passage talks about God saying, I want you to give me control of three areas of your life. Now, he wants control of all your life, but this passage just talks about three. And they're biggies. He, he says, I want you to give me control of your sex life. That's no small thing. I want you to give me control of how you love people. Whoo. That ain't no small thing. And then I want you to give me control of how you view work. That's a little bitty thing. All right. So as I was preparing this sermon, I, I was like, what is this like? And I remembered, um, this was years ago, my brother and I decided to get our families in Verge on Destin. And, uh, and we were down at Destin and we did the, the Destin Strip thing. It's where there's this main road that goes through Destin, this beach town. Have y'all been there? You, you know, and have y'all seen the amusement parks that are right there on the strip? And so we went and played putt-putt and drove go-karts and ate custard, and it was awesome. And there was this ride there. I call it the human taco ride. And what it is is you go and they, they put this harness. It's a full-body harness that makes you like a human taco. It's like a taco shell that goes around you. And on the back is a clamp, and they hook you up to a cable, and what it is, is they crank you up 200 feet up in the air, uh, and it's a giant swing. Have anybody done this? Two, three, four. Do y'all do anything? Like, are y'all, do you live your lives? Like, I'm talking pre-COVID now. You didn't have to quarantine two years ago. You could have gone. Anyway, you go there, and here's the cruel thing about it, is it cranks you all the way up there, and when you get up there, you're immediately struck by the insanity of what you're doing. You're, you're struck by, I could die. This could be a headlines in like the National Enquirer because who else would read it? You know, this, this could be the end of my life. And you think, okay, I'm ready. And then you realize that you're the one that has to release the cable. There's a ripcord on the person who's on the far end and they have to pull it to release you from the cable that's holding you to swing you. Um, and so you've got this, the person running the ride down there who instills great confidence in you because they're 15 years old and they're making $7 an hour and they're like, trust me, it'll work, you know? And they're going, all right, everybody with me, one, two, three, and you don't want to pull it, but you know, you're being shamed by that six-year-old girl that's going, pull the card. And you realize that your shame is more powerful in your life than your fear, and you actually pull the cord. That's today's sermon. Because <laughs> I'm going to ask you to pull a cord. All right, I'm going to ask you to pull the cord and say, God, I'm going to follow you. 
Because if, if you're a Christ follower, um, that's what it means to follow Christ. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul's talked a lot about Jesus, and now he gets to where he's talking about you. And if, you're, if you have one of the Bibles on your table, I think it's page 574. Or maybe it's, yeah, it's 574, house Bibles. Those cute little blue Bibles. So let me just read the whole passage. This is chapter one, and we're gonna read through verse 12. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we've instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you're living. Now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. In other words, we're not just saying this because it's our idea. We're coming to you to give you these commands. They're from, from the Lord. So he says, in God, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that this is your word. It's not mine. I thank you that it's your Holy Spirit that reveals truth um, and we need a revelation of truth, not just taught head knowledge. So, Lord, I know you've got everybody in this room here for a purpose. This is a, a divine setup, and I pray that, Lord, you would, um, you would do the work you do when you show up in our lives. Sometimes you rebuke. Sometimes you heal. Sometimes you call us. Um, Lord, would you help us to be attentive, crash through our disastrous distractions, and let us be very real and present right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, I spent a lot of time this week thinking about why did Paul lump these three things together, my sex life, my love for my neighbor, and how I work. And as I start, started thinking about those things, I thought, you know what really those three things have in common is that uh, when it comes to me, I want to approach all three of those things by asking, what do I want? What uh, do I get out of this? And is this good for me? I mean, think about that for a minute. I want, I, want, I want the freedom to ask that about my own sexuality. It's my sexuality. Like, what do I want? What do I get out of this? What's good for me? But I also want that for my neighbor. Like, you think about your, the people that you do life around. It's so easy to approach the people in our lives from the perspective 
uh, that's very much a Mead-centered perspective. And maybe you've got people that are really close, like your spouse or maybe a, you know, one of your kids where you feel like, oh, I can really be other-centered there. But when you get outside that circle, it's really hard to be other-centered with like the people that live on your street or in your apartment complex or that neighbor that's always noisy. And then especially work. I mean, work, that just seems like a natural fit that I should be asking, what do I want from my career? I should be asking, you know, what do I get out of this? What's good for me? And what, what Jesus is doing here is, is he's, he's saying we're a part of a new kingdom and as a part of a new kingdom, we have a new way of seeing things. So let's briefly talk about each for a second. You know, when we think about our sexuality, we have to first confess that, one, sex is a gift from God. He created it. He declared it good. It is beautiful. It's not something that should never be talked about. It's not something that we go, stay away. It's, it's a beautiful thing. In fact, um, I believe it's Satan who hates sex so much because he does so much to try to destroy it and so much to try to make it ugly and dark. But when God created sexuality, in our sexuality, and the idea of sex, what he's doing is he's creating something that allows us to experience something beautifully spiritual. Maybe you've heard when two people get married, even if you've never been to church before, you've been to a wedding where you've heard, and two become one. That's from the Bible, you know? And what does that mean, that two become one? It's talking about that when two people get married and they give their lives to one another, God knits their souls and their spirits together in a very beautiful, divine way. In fact, it's, it's so profound that it's hard for us to understand. And so God gave us this gift of sex because sex now becomes almost like the communion of marriage. If you've ever been here and you've taken communion, you know, the wine and the bread that Jesus gave us on the Last Supper, you know, we're, we're actually physically touching something and experiencing a picture of his redemption for us. And in marriage, sex is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. The two shall become one. And what God is saying here is he says, I want you to change your idea about sexuality and see that it's beautiful and that it's good. And I've designed it for a designed purpose. And anything outside that purpose is not my will for you. Whoa, this is where it gets hard. Pull the ripcord. Meaning, God's will is this river where he is teaching me. He, he's teaching me to be sanctified, which the whole process of sanctification is that he wants me to love him and he wants me to love my neighbor. And he's like, that's my will for you. And so this is how you love in this part of your life. That means that whenever your desires spill over the banks of my river, my will for you, that's outside the boundaries of what I want for that. So pre-marriage sex, God says, nope, that's not my will for you. Adultery, that's not my will for you. Pornography, that's not my will for you. Lustful thoughts that exceed outside my home, that's not my will for you. And the Lord is saying, hey, will you follow me? And let me tell you why that's so hard. It's because all of us are messed up. If you've ever read Dan Allender, he is a psychologist, a Christian counselor. He's also a pastor. He's done a lot of work in the area of sexual abuse. And listen to what he has to say. It's really intriguing. Every human being on this earth struggles with sexual thoughts. 
feelings and behaviors that are contrary to love and in conflict with the holiness of God. We can either pretend that just a few of us struggle with sexual problems that, that don't tempt the rest of us, or we can open, openly acknowledge that all humanity is caught up in a sexual war that must be engaged if we are truly to be human. Y'all agree with that? Boy, nobody's going to shake their head yes on that, are they? We're talking about sex in church. No one ever on this earth has ever been able to escape sexual wars. We're sexual beings. From the day we were born to the day we die, and throughout our lives, we will struggle to know and embrace goodness in our sexuality rather than loss, shame, and contempt. How do we engage the heartache, the past, the present, and the future woven into our sexuality and still delight in what God has made for our pleasure? Jesus says, come on. And it is hard. We're not going to spend time there. Let's go to the neighbors. That's not any easier. Because when God says, I want you to love your neighbor, he's actually saying, I want you to love another person as much as you love yourself. Come on. That's, seriously, that's impossible. Like, think about how much you think about you. Do you think about your neighbor that much? No way. So one of my favorite podcasts is Revisionist History. Have any of y'all listened to that? Okay, the numbers keep rising. You've not done the ripcord thing, but you've listened to a podcast. Good for you. <laughs> there you go, getting a little dangerous, going on that internet, the internet. Well, Malcolm Gladwell is an author, and I love, he's a great storyteller. And on one of his podcasts, he talks about how his father loved the Amish community. And they would, many times in his youth, they would go to the Amish community and they would participate in a barn raising or participate in other things. And he tells a story that he heard once when he was out there that a man had bought a farm from an Amish farmer. And after he bought the farm and uh, took, um, took it, actually moved in, he realized that the man who sold him the farm wasn't being honest with him about the septic system. The septic system wasn't in good working order like the farmer had told him it was. In fact, it was going to cost this guy who just bought the farm thousands of dollars to repair the septic system. And if he had known this ahead of time, he wouldn't have bought the farm. So this new owner is, you know, grinding his teeth over what had happened to him. And he looked out in his front yard and all his neighbor farmers were standing in his front yard. All these Amish farmers had showed up. And you can just imagine the scene. They're standing out there waiting for him to come out. And he comes out and says, what do y'all want? And he says, we heard uh, what happened, that our neighbor lied to you and that he's left you with the cost of repairing the septic. And he says, that's true. And they said, well, we've brought you a check to pay for the septic um, and accept our apology. And he said, well, well <laughs> y'all didn't do this. Listen to what they said. He was our neighbor, and we'll take responsibility. And now you're our neighbor. Do you want a neighbor like that? You bet. But I don't want to be a neighbor like that. <clears throat> Are you kidding me? Like that, do you realize how hard that is? Because to be that kind of neighbor, I've got to walk away from being the kind of neighbor I want to be. 
See, that's the whole catch when it comes to Jesus says, come and follow me. It means you've got to quit following you. That is hard. That is hard because we don't do that very well. We do this really, really well, right? And then, I mean, uh, work, job, blah. I mean, I, it's hard for us sometimes to realize that whatever you're, uh, do any of you have a job? Let's see if we can get the numbers up. All right, wow, all right, jumped up. Y'all are getting out of your house. Way to go. Is anybody working from home? Oh, all of you. All right, so, no, I'm joking. You know, when I began to see my job as a job and I stopped seeing as a calling, when I see this as a place for where I learn, I earn an income to take care of me and not a place where I'm going to express God's work in my life, where I'm going to express love, where I'm going to express the fact that I'm loved and I can profoundly love other people, then I'm losing sight of what it is that God's calling me to do in work. It's hard because we work with people sometimes we don't like. We work for people sometimes we don't like. It's hard for me to have a kingdom mindset that I care more about your success than I care about my success, that I'm gonna go to work to help you become successful. That is a hard thing to do. It's hard for us to think as work as a means by which to live out who I am in Christ. So how do we do it? Wow, I'm getting through this sermon so much faster than I did at the 9.30. Y'all should be so proud. They didn't even get that part, all right? So go back to the passage and look what it says here. This is in verse three. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, what is that? Like, what is God's will for your life? Do you know that God has a will for your life? And many of us spend a lot of our life obsessing over, is it God's will for me to fill in the blank? go to college? Should I get married? Should I have kids? Should I take this job? Should I live in this house? Should I move to this state? You know, we, we have a whole list of, God, what do you want? What do you want? And what really what we're asking God is, will you tell me what to do that will get me what I want? <clears throat> and so there are two wills that God has for us. He has a revealed will, and he also has what we call in the theological worlds a secret will. And the secret will is that God does have a plan for your life. He really does. He has a, a plan for what he would like for you to do with your life and how he'd like to spend your life. And some of you, your, God's will for your life is to throw yourself into music or into finance or some of you, he's throwing you into a world of medicine. I mean, all, he's got a will for all of you. That's a secret will. But God also has a revealed will. Did I say that right? Revealed will for your life, meaning that he has a revealed will for all of us. And here's the crazy thing about this revealed will is that it's connected to the secret will. And this revealed will is what we're looking at. God's will for you is for you to follow him sexually, is for you to follow him when it comes to loving your neighbor, and is to follow him with work and a whole list of other things. In fact, God is saying that when we understand his revealed will for us, and we begin to surrender ourselves to that, it begins to open doors for us to understand his secret will. That shouldn't surprise you. I mean, you know, <clears throat> if, you, 
If you're having a hard time grasping the concept that you shouldn't kill other people, you may not be able to be real sensitive to whether or not you should have more children. Like those, you grasp the idea there? So what is this revealed will? It says here in verse 3 that you would be sanctified. So sanctification is, um, for, for me to help you understand, I have to first talk about these two terms that we use from Scripture, justification and then sanctification. Justification is what happens to me when I become a Christian. When Christ went to the cross, he took all my sins with him. And when he paid for them, he paid my debt, he paid what I owed for my sin, and God said, it is finished. And he did this, what we call the great exchange, which is all I brought to the party was my sin. I took it, I took it to Jesus and Jesus took it to the cross, but then when he rose again, the great exchange was in exchange for my sins, Jesus did something remarkable. He then gave me his righteousness or his rightness that when God, when Jesus stands before the Father, all the Father sees is the rightness of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus. Jesus belongs there, that Jesus in his purity never sinned. And when I accept Christ, he not only cleans me up and takes my sins away, but he also brings me into this place where he is to where before the Father I'm also right because I'm in Jesus. I'm also holy because I'm in Jesus. You getting this? That's justification. Some even call it, you know, it's, it's just as if I've never sinned. I don't really like that idea because it just connects to sin because it's a two-part. It's not just he takes away my sin, but he also gives me righteousness. Sanctification, that may, that's a one-time thing that happens when I accept Christ. Sanctification, a way to simplify this, sanctification is me taking this holiness and this rightness that is mine in Christ and working it out into my life. Allowing it now to get traction in the way that I live my life, in my hands, in my feet, and what I do. The sanctification is this process of actually becoming more like Jesus. And just a side note, we don't do this alone. Like, in fact, it's the Holy Spirit who has told us many places in Scripture that that he's the one that started this and he's the one that's gonna finish this, that he's the one that's working through us and working in us to make us more like Christ. So how does he do that? Okay, so if you have a pen and paper, we're gonna, we're gonna run to three quick passages and then I'm actually gonna finish the sermon on time. It's amazing. I'll have you out of here by 1.30. So... I want you to think about sanctification like this. Have you ever painted a room with a five-year-old? I have. And they, they're so eager for a little while. Their attention span just really is no good at all. Like, it's just, they're not good day laborers. Trust me, five-year-olds, I don't know, child labor laws, I don't know why we ever needed those because I could never get any work out of my kids. Like, I, I don't know how that worked. Like, and... So they come in and you have to stop everything that you're doing and you, you give them like the little rollers that you use to trim. It's really cute for about a second. You get a picture and then it goes sideways fast because anytime there's paint that needs to go on a wall and it's being, 
It's being held by a five-year-old. Disaster is in the making. And so you're spending more time trying to clean up, straighten up, control, manage. They're not helping at all. They are no help. When it comes to help, like, is there any five-year-olds in this room? A couple of, y'all are awesome. Y'all, I love y'all over here. (laughs) Don't get a job anytime soon, all right? And when the room is done, you step back and it's finished, those little boogers always say the same thing. We did a great job, didn't we? And you're like, no, I did a great job. In spite of you, that's sanctification. Okay, you with me? I'm serious, this is sanctification, because if we don't believe that, then what we, what we start to believe is me getting better is what God really wants. That Jesus died on the cross, that was his gift to me, and me being good is my gift to him. And if we start thinking that, you guys are gonna screw up Midtown. I'm kidding, I'm not kidding you, we will, I'll do it. Because now we're gonna start thinking that being a Christian is really about me getting better and me looking better. And so we come in here and you know what we do? We hide from each other. Because we're living under this crushing weight of shoulds. I should give more to the church. (sighs) Shame, shame, shame. I know there's other people here that give more money. I should give more. I should read the Bible more. I haven't looked at my Bible since COVID started. I can't tell anybody in here that because everybody's read the Bible, right? I should pray more. I should enjoy church. Like, I should be listening right now. If you're not laughing, it's because you're not listening, (laughs) all right? But think about it. I I should enjoy worship music. Kevin's such a nice guy. I should. And these shoulds then become these shame monsters in our lives that we really think that God's sitting over in the corner waiting for me to get better going, how much more do I have to give you before you get your life together? And God becomes this just disappointed, just unhappy father that who wants to be around that? I don't. Like, and if I'm coming to church and I can't be real, then I'm coming to church to hide and fulfill some kind of religious obligation. Let's just get real. That stinks. It's only going to last for so long. But if we come to a community going, man, I tell you, man, I'm a mess. And I need God's work in my life more than God needs my work in his life. And I'm coming hungry. I'm coming hungry for him to meet me where I am and do battle with my shoulds. Then we turn into a community that comes ready. And right in the middle of all that, Jesus says, I don't care how you feel about it, obey me. What? Because I'm about to read you some verses and we're gonna be done in five minutes, okay? But I'm gonna read you some verses, but here's what I want you to just write down. Sometimes you have to pull the ripcord before you enjoy the ride. What I mean is sometimes you have to obey Jesus in your sex life. Sometimes you have to obey him in loving your neighbor, and sometimes you have to obey him in your work life before you start to understand what he's doing. Sometimes it's flip, but sometimes it just, you have to just trust enough to go, oh, God. Because here's the power to sanctify us, to make us like Christ. Titus chapter two, this is verse 11 through 13. 
For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's justification. His grace. Verse 12, it, and when it says it, it's referring to that grace. It, that grace, teaches me to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Did you hear what he just said? Grace is what teaches me how to live a life of saying yes to Jesus. Grace is what gives me the courage to pull the ripcord and go, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give you control of my sex life. I'm going to give you control of the way I love people. I'm going to give you control of my work life. Grace, because what is grace? God's unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't do anything to get it. God decided to pour it on top of you. His love on you for no other reason than the fact that he found you lovable and decided to do it. That's grace. If you did anything to earn it, it's not grace. If you come to church and hoping to get God's favor, that's not grace. If you pray thinking if I pray a lot, then God's gonna be for me, that's not grace. If you read the Bible thinking that's gonna get God in your corner, that's not grace. Grace is you did nothing, you can do nothing, you will never qualify in anything you do, you say, you give, or sacrifice for God's favor on your life. Grace is available to you free of charge. To you, it costs him everything. And when I began to dive into the deep understanding of God's grace for me, it gives me courage to say yes. So let's don't stop there. Romans chapter 12. This is verse 12, 12, 12. I did that intentionally. No, I did not write the Bible. Hard to believe. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in full view of God's mercy, he says, I am, I am urging you. Look at God's mercy. Now, just keep your eyes on that while I'm urging you. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your p- true and proper worship. He's saying, he's saying, say yes, pull the ripcord. Say yes to Jesus, but, but look at his mercy while you're doing it. So it's not just grace, but mercy. Well, what is mercy? <clears throat> so, you know, the best way I can explain it is this. Of, of course, mercy is when you deserve punishment and somebody says, I give you mercy. You know, and they don't, they don't give you what you deserve, but it's more than that. It's kind of like Bob Ross. Need I say more? Do you know who Bob Ross is? Do y'all, y'all watch TV? All right, okay. Bob Ross is the painter, the guy that teaches you how to paint. He has the big hair, and you know who I'm talking about now? And Bob Ross was the guy that would say, you know, happy trees. We're going to create happy trees. And happy trees have friends. And just weird, like, and he would talk about, there are no mistakes. We don't make any mistakes. We make happy accidents. Like, he just, if you've ever watched this show, or should I ask you, have you ever watched this show and had this thought? I think I can do that. No? Two of you, wow. All right. If you, you need to go watch that this afternoon. Deep dive, Bob Ross, trust me. Because his weird kind of gentle way, he even said, I think if, if you had enough practice, you could paint the Mona Lisa with a two-inch brush. Like, you watch it and you go, in his gentleness and his inviting way and his encouragement 
you go, I could do that. That's God's mercy. Where God moves to you with gentleness, where he moves to you with compassion, and he begins to tell you that I want you to have an unbelievable sex life. I want you to have an unbelievable love for your neighbors. I want your life to be an expression of love in a way that you've never even imagined. And I want your work to be transformed from a job to a profound calling and purpose in your life. And you listen to him and you go, I think I can do that. And then finally in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 14. Galatians 5, 13 through 14. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. So don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So it's not just grace. I now give my heart to mercy, his gentleness and kindness. I can do that. And then freedom. And what freedom, Jesus told us in John chapter 8, this is what freedom is. Once you're a slave to sin, a slave, a slave, And he says, but now you've been set free to being sons and daughters. Freedom means I'm a part of the family. Freedom freedom means I have a name now. Freedom means now I'm a part of something that's bigger than myself, and I have a father. It's okay. I'm done. Let me wrap this up. Let me lie on the plane. That... If I give myself to understanding grace and mercy and freedom, it may give me the courage to pull the ripcord and say, okay, Jesus, I, I, will, I will give you control over my sex life. I'll give you control over how I love my neighbors in radical ways. And I'm gonna give you control over how I view my work. Teach me, lead me. So as we wrap up this sermon, I just want to say that if you're human here, you've made mistakes probably in all three of those areas. If you're human here today, it's possible that there is shame and even sadness and those things are not good enough to help us change. So we're going to repent, we're going to put those things down and then what we're going to pick up is grace, mercy and freedom as a means by which we go, okay, Lord, guide my steps and teach me about these areas of my life. Okay, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we pause and we don't repent because um, it gives us some fresh version of forgiveness. We know that Jesus, you took our sins to the cross and you're not causing them to be in our face again. You're, you're giving us repentance to re- return back to the sanity that we are covered by grace, that you are merciful to us and you have called us sons and daughters. So hear our repentance as we put those things down, Lord, and we pick up who we are. And let us have the courage, this that scary kind of courage that um, allows us even to do something when we're afraid and pull that ripcord of saying, Lord, I want you to have control over our lives, over my life. Jesus, would you come and guide our sexuality? Would you guide, Lord, how we love other people? 
And would you even guide, Lord, how I work? And then all three of those things, would you let them be the greatest expressions of love, loving you and loving others? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.